If you have your Bible, your tablet, or your papal Bible, or your phone, whatever it may be, you can head to the book of Acts in chapter 19 this morning as we continue through uh, a series that we are finishing up this month, going through the entire book of Acts, a series that I've entitled, The Power to Change the World. Here in Acts chapter 19, we rejoin Paul in the next leg of one of his missionary journeys, and this morning he is in the city of Ephesus. Uh, Something that you should know about Ephesus as we jump into this passage this morning, Ephesus was a city, not unlike our own, uh, not unlike our own country, that is filled with all kinds of dark, evil stuff. Um, In Acts chapter 19, there are really two different stories that that are very closely related. I tried to sandwich in both stories this morning, there just isn't time. So with our time this morning, we're going to focus in on the first of the two stories in Acts chapter 19. And that story is a story essentially of some false prophets that are going to um, see Paul casting out some demons. And they go, oh, we want to copy that. And without knowing Jesus and without being filled with God's power, they attempt to cast out these demons. They are utterly unsuccessful, and a demon-possessed man, it says, beats the pulp out of them. Uh, The following story that we will reference some is about a silversmith by the name of Demetrius who was in the the idol-making business. He built idols out of silver in order to worship the, uh, the gods of sex, money, and power there in the city of Ephesus. And when Paul's evangelism leads to new conversions in the city of Ephesus, it actually has the effect of beginning to damage that, uh, that sex industry. And uh, they're so upset about it that they essentially begin a riot in order to get rid of Paul and the other believers and to get back to the status quo of using and manipulating people there in their city. You should know of the city of Ephesus as well, that it was the site of uh, the temple to a goddess named Artemis, uh, or sometimes referred to as Diana. This was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Uh, In this temple, there were 127 pillars that were 60 feet tall each and held up the ceiling of this temple. And inside the temple was this idol to Artemis or to Diana, a multi-breasted statue, which was uh, in honor of their cult of fertility and worship. This is big business here in, in Ephesus, making money off of what is one of our favorite idols in the United States as well today, sexual freedom, quote unquote. Perversion, cult prostitution, dehumanizing abuse, materialism, money. Uh, Ephesus was very much a city uh, that became a city of superstition and the dark arts as all of these things came together in one. Uh, The commentary by R. Kent Hughes says this, Ephesus was the waterhole for every kind of magician, witch, clairvoyant, and criminal. Con artists, murderers, and perverts all found the climate of Ephesus unusually agreeable. The city was the dark castle of Asia Minor. The unseen forces behind what is happening in Ephesus were spiritual, they were demonic, they were satanic, and so it brings us to the same question today of how do we approach the demonic and the satanic in our own lives now? What do we do with the evil and the wickedness and the perversities that we see in our own culture now? Uh, Should we be afraid? Should we stand up to them? How do we interact? And of course, we will find our answer as we go back to the scripture today, this morning. So let's begin reading here in Acts chapter 19. I'm going to read to us verses 8 through verse 20 to begin our time this morning. Hear the word of the Lord. And he, that is Paul, 
entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims, seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Siva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all of the residents of Ephesus, Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all. No kidding. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Let's take a moment and let's pray to our good Lord and King this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that even as we hear from your word that we might apply it to our lives. Father, we are grateful that you are a God of power, that you are a God of truth, and that you are a God of grace. And so, Father, by your mercies this morning, would you draw us closer to you? Father, maybe for the first time in faith, Lord, uh, or for your, for your believers here this morning, Lord, that you would uh, give us comfort where we are in need of comfort, encouragement where we are in need of encouragement, Father, that we might trust and obey, Father. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Three ways this morning from this brief passage that we see that we are called to fight against evil. The first of these is this. We see this particularly in verses 8 through 12. Faithful, and I'll add ordinary, faithful, ordinary believers attack the spiritual forces of evil with evangelism. Faithful believers attack the spiritual forces of evil with evangelism. Here we have the example of Paul who does what he does often. He begins by entering the Jewish synagogues in a new city that he has arrived in to share the gospel. And in that context, he employs reasoning, He employs dialogue. Uh, He basically engages in question and answer along with daily preaching and teaching the kingdom of God, the good news of the gospel from the scriptures. And throughout his experiences, he is sharing and he is leading and teaching, but he is always under varying amounts of attack and persecution, uh, which reminds us that for ourselves, it is normal when we speak and we share the grace and the truth of Jesus that we ought to expect pushback from the lost in our world and from the spiritual forces of evil in the world. The Bible here says that the Ephesians' hearts were stubborn. 
That word stubborn is the exact same word that is used to describe the reprobate Pharaoh in the Old Testament. Their hearts were hard, the Bible says here in Acts 19. They continued in unbelief, and they even went so far as to speak evil of Christianity. Not an unheard of experience in our own day and time. But what we see here is by this group of Ephesians, there is complete rejection of the gospel. What did Paul do? Notice he doesn't stop sharing the gospel, but he does move on to the next person. It is the same for us. If the gospel is rejected by those that you are sharing with, do not give up, but move on to the next person that you might continue to share the same good news, knowing that God can move in hearts and change hearts. Paul just finds a new audience. Not only does he evangelize, but he also fights the worldliness and the sensuality in that city with godliness. And this is an interesting thing for us to think about here. Uh, In Acts 19, it is clear that the idolatry of that city was of sensuality and of greed. Um, Paul writes a letter. The book of Ephesians is actually a letter to the little church plant in Ephesus that began as a result of this missions trip. So as you read the book of Ephesians in view with the realities of what was going on in their city, the the sin and the brokenness that pervaded that particular city, perhaps it gives new light as you read here these stories of Ephesians thinking about what they as believers were going, uh, experiencing in their own city. Let's flip there. Uh, If you can, flip to Ephesians and we're going to go to chapter 4. There are a number of places where we see these connections between Acts 19 and the letter to the Ephesians. But in Acts chapter 4, listen to what Paul encourages the believers to do here. This is verses 17 through 24, and it'll be on the screen behind me. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Ephesians 4, Paul actually goes on to give an incredibly specific and practical list of what does it look like to walk in godliness as a new follower of Christ. I'll give you the shorthand version. He says things like this, speak truth. Don't give the devil a foothold by remaining angry. Work instead of stealing. Share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, slander, He says, be kind and compassionate and forgiving just like God forgave you. Imitate God by living a life of love. Let there be not even a hint of sexual immorality, nor coarse joking, but rather thankfulness. Uh, In our city groups this week, we are going to dig deeper into both Acts chapter 19 and these moments throughout the book of Ephesians and consider how do we apply these realities to our daily lives now. Here, though, the conclusion of this same passage here in Ephesians, listen to Ephesians chapter 5 now as he continues the same uh, tone of thought here in verses 8 through 11. Paul says this to the church, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. 
For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. In youth group earlier this week on Wednesday night, we happened to look at a passage in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, and the point behind that passage was saying that our obedience to God and to His law, particularly the Ten Commandments, is not only a way that we express our love to God, it is also a way that the nations see and understand God and are drawn to Him. Have you ever thought about that? That obeying God's commands, that seeking by His grace to walk in godliness is in itself a way to evangelize and draw people into saving faith with Jesus. Paul evangelizes. Paul seeks to live in godliness. He also is fighting both with his work and God's uh, miraculous power. And this is really a, a striking moment here. Paul is evangelizing. There are conversions. We don't know how many. Uh, and then it says that God provides an extraordinary set of miracles, meaning a unique set of miracles. And the miracles are such that as people are touching the handkerchiefs and the aprons that Paul himself has touched, that they too are experiencing physical healing from diseases and even experiencing demons being cast out. This should remind us all the way back in the book of Luke chapter 8 when a, a woman who could not stop hemorrhaging touched just the outer garment of Jesus' clothing and she was instantly healed. God accomplishes these miracles as always for his glory and to show these people what real spiritual power actually looks like. They live in a city where they have been lied to and have been experienced the deceptive realm of false spirituality and fake power. God is showing them what real spiritual power actually looks like. And it's important for us to recognize, too, that, that these miracles are not about Paul or his glory or his finances. They are about God and his glory alone. This is not uh, what I again saw on TV last month, which is the guy who says, if you sow your faith seed with us and mail us a check or swipe your credit card right now, if you send us money, then we will mail to you this healing water and you can take out this bottle of healing water and all of your problems will be solved and your finances will explode beyond your wildest dreams and everything will be great. Just send us the money first. That is not what Paul is doing here. He does not promise them richness, happiness, and health. Further, he is not selling anything. He's not selling the hankies. He's not selling the sweatbands. He's not selling the, the aprons. But what's interesting is, why is it hankies and aprons? What we know from here in this passage and many others is that Paul was a tent maker by trade. You've heard that phrase before? Paul not only was an evangelist, but he had a job, and his job was to be a tent maker. And so these hankies literally were the hankies that he wiped the sweat of his brow away. And these aprons were the aprons that he wore as he did his working in leather. Paul worked hard, even as he experienced and saw God do miraculous things. There's another interesting nugget here. Um, the scripture does not give us this, but we do have the Western text, which itself is not a part of scripture, but it is an oral tradition we think that was added much later. Um, it's certainly not a part of Luke's original, but in this particular case, it at least gives us a historical element that is worth considering. The Western text tells us that when Paul rented the Hall of Tyrannus that's referenced here in Acts 19, and that as he shared the gospel daily, the Western text says that he did that from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m., or the equivalent of how they took time at that time. 
The reason for that would have been, historically we know, that Ephesus was a city that took a five-hour siesta in the middle of the day. Now, all of you are going, I like that idea. 11 to 4, siesta? Yes. The way that uh, the the city of Ephesus would work, though, is their workday began at 7 a.m. They would work until 11. Then they would take their siesta, effectively, from 11 to 4, and then they would go back to work from 4 until 9.30 p.m. And maybe you don't like that idea quite as much. I don't know. You can think about that later. The point, though, is that historically it would seem that Paul worked very hard as a tent maker in the morning. Didn't take the siesta off, but rather used that as his opportunity to do Q&A and to preach the gospel, and then went back to work as a tent maker at night. He was relentless for the gospel. The hankies, the aprons, the tent making, the long hours all remind us that We today as well, as ordinary and desiring to be faithful believers, can be a part of God's mission. And that with our lives, we can share the gospel. And with our lives, we can show the reality of the gospel. Number two is this. As we consider how we fight against these spiritual forces of evil. Number two, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the spiritual forces of evil. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil. And we see this in verses 13 through 16 of our passage this morning. Demons here, again, beat the trash out of the seven sons of Siva who are essentially traveling exorcists. They attempt to copy Paul's miraculous casting out of demons, but you cannot duplicate God's power. You cannot substitute faith and create some sort of false power here. These guys were not believers. They are glory seekers. They weren't Christians. They were syncretists, meaning they took all of the various false religions of that day and they sprinkled in just enough of Christianity to make it look like they were believers. Very much, again, a reality that we see in our own lives today. The demons, and you can imagine being a part of this scene, how scary this would have been. The demons say, Jesus we know, Paul we've heard of, but who are you? And the seven sons, it says, were overpowered, left naked, and wounded. So a logical question for us today would be, do demons still exist today? Does does Satan and satanic power still exist today? Well, again, if we go to the book of Ephesians, among many places in Scripture, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12 that I've already quoted to you says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. When you see evil and wickedness and sin in the world. Sin originates in our hearts, yes, but there is more going on. When you see evil in the world, it is not just a political issue. Please hear me. It is not just a human issue. It is not just a physical or naturalistic issue. It is a spiritual issue at its heart always. And so when we read Acts 19, that second story of a riot breaking out in response to Paul leading people to Jesus, and they are disgusted and they begin violently responding because their profit margins have been damaged because of their legalized prostitution issue, it is a spiritual issue. Satan was striking back against the message of the gospel. When the Senate of these United States can cast 49 votes this week 
to continue to approve that abortion should be legal in all 50 states all nine months of pregnancy for any and every reason that you might want. It is a spiritual issue. It is a satanic issue that we would be okay with continuing to further the murdering of children in the womb. Now, as believers, we both embrace the reality that Scripture is clear of the sanctity and the importance and the blessedness of all human life from the moment of conception until the moment that we die and see Jesus face to face. And in the same breath, we will tell you that we love and we care for and we want to support any man or woman who has had any experience in any way related to abortion. We want to see them healed. We want to see them restored. We want to see them experience God's grace and mercy and power and love and truth, even as we have experienced it ourselves. We want to be a part of supporting every part of that story. That is why financially we support both of the crisis pregnancy centers in this city, and we will continue to. It is why we are grateful that there is no abortion clinic in our county and has not been for years. We thank God for that reality. It is why we want to support mothers and fathers in every phase of that situation. So if there is a mother or father who is single and in need of help as they have chosen to raise their child, we absolutely will be the first in line to give of our time, our efforts, our money, everything that we have to love and care for them, to support them in in the move towards adoption or towards fostering in any way that we can to love and care for people. It's got to be all of it. Demons and Satan are real. We see them in our world every day. But what role or what power do they have? I shared with you several weeks ago, Harry Reader, I think, gives us a very helpful explanation when he says the the weapons of the spiritual forces of evil are three, intimidation, imitation, and infiltration. That's a very helpful way of thinking about it. Intimidation imitation, and infiltration. Our very first Sunday here ever, holding worship as a church back in 2019, many of you will recall this, as we finished up worship, as we all went home, grateful that God had brought a church together, you recall that on social media, I personally was attacked and slandered. I look back on that moment and I think the spiritual forces of evil were at work that day. They did not want the gospel in this school. They did not want the gospel in this city. They did not want the truth and the grace of Jesus proclaimed. I find that when I I preach on difficult topics, or or you could call it hard-hitting truths, those are the moments when inevitably technology goes asunder. But we don't care, do we? If the electricity goes out, the AC turns off, the slides stop working, if we have no sound in the speakers, we will gladly continue to worship King Jesus and open his word, and call out to him in prayer. Amen? Amen. When you follow hard after Christ, you can expect that Satan will attack your spouse and your children. When you seek to obey God faithfully, you can expect that you will come under fire because you have become a threat. And you can consider an honor and a blessing. But all the more reason to be praying for your spouse, be praying for your children. When you seek to follow Christ, you can expect extra temptation. You can expect that the way that Satan wants wants to infiltrate your life, your family, your church, 
is to tempt you towards the dazzling things that you know are wrong. But he says, maybe think again. Maybe try that out. It's the same lie that he used on Adam and Eve those many years ago. We should expect attack because when we worship King Jesus, we remind Satan that he is lost. Amen. Believers, by the way, cannot be possessed by demons. I hear that question often. No, believers cannot be possessed by demons, but they can be attacked. They can be persecuted in ways that I just described, temptation or disunity, the temptation towards gossip or bitterness or unforgiveness. But please do not be tempted to use the excuse, the devil made me do it. It's not his fault. When I sin, it's my fault. It's also not God's fault, by the way. Because you and I are children of the living God. You have the power of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in your life. You have the Holy Spirit filling you, which is why at the very beginning of Acts, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, that we perpetually come back to, Jesus reminds us of this reality and promise as we follow him in this dark world. Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In Christ, you and I are more than equal to anything that Ephesus can throw at us and anything that Satan can throw at us. Why? Number three, the spiritual forces of evil have lost and are in active hostile retreat. Military terms for a military reality. The spiritual forces of evil have lost and are in active hostile retreat. Let's return back to the final four verses of Acts chapter 19 in our story. Refresh ourselves here. Verses 17 through 20 says this, and this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Repentance and revival are taking place in Ephesus despite the attacks of evil. The gospel is advancing. The demons are fleeing. They are retreating. And what you see here is a healthy fear, a healthy fear that leads to confession and turning away from sin. It's not the healings that scared everybody. It's not that demons were cast out that brought the fear. What brought this good fear is witnessing God's judgment on display for misusing the name of Jesus and joining with spiritual forces of evil. So what you have here is new believers who, who start confessing their sins. They start divulging their dark practices, the things that they had hidden that they didn't want anybody else to know. They go, oh, no, no, no. There's freedom in confession. There's joy in being honest with God and with God's people and saying, I don't want to walk in this sin anymore. There's life in Christ. And that's what they're experiencing more and more and more. And they're rejecting the fact that they had participated in, in demonic and satanic powers. I hope this is obvious, but let me state it anyway. Engaging in the demonic, tarot cards, Ouija boards, fortune tellers, palm readers, the occult are always either deceptive or demonic or both. 
don't get involved. Here, believers put their dark sins in light and, and repented and rejected what their wicked culture was selling them. Let it be so with us as well today. Faith in Christ, it impacts, it revolutionizes the way that you live your day-to-day life. Faith in Christ is not something that I did once when I was 12 years old and I prayed a prayer and it has no relevance to my daily life. It changes everything about who you are and what you do. And so for these brand new believers, they confess what had been hidden. They burn their dark magic books. They, they cut ties with evil. What joy to say, I'm done with that. For believers, our lives are are transformed. And as a result, the structures within our society begin to change. As people first put their faith and their hope in Christ, the city around them begins to change as others come to Christ. And the truth and the grace of God's word becomes the norm, becomes the truth by which we live our lives. As the power of the Holy Spirit manifests in the lives of believers who share and live out the good news, our city will be made new from the inside out. Verse 20, I love this verse that gets thrown into what is otherwise a very dark passage. It says, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. This is the story of scripture from beginning to end. Genesis 3 and verse 15 The Bible promises to us that that serpent, that though that serpent may strike Jesus' heel, that Jesus will crush his head one day. In the New Testament, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He goes on to say, I have given you believers authority to trample on snakes and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Matthew 16, the Bible says that the gates of hell will not prevail against the advance of the church. Gates don't go on the offensive, right? It is the church that is on the offensive tearing down the gates of hell. What a picture for what our daily lives look like here on earth. James 4, 7, submit yourselves to God, therefore, and watch the devil Flee. Resist him and he will flee. And then Ephesians, once again, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 and 21 say this I pray, he's praying for the church there in Ephesus. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Understand Jesus' present position. He is seated on the throne. He's not waiting to be king. He's not a prince in waiting. He is the king now. Verse 21, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. And every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Jesus has already won. He's already won. There is no name that we can come up with, no person in governmental authority, no person who has more money than you that is more important or has more control than Jesus himself. There is no demon, there is no Satan that can stand up to him. He has already won. He is just cleaning up the mess. 
We live in the already and the not yet. Jesus has already come. He has already come to earth. He has already lived the perfect life. He has already died on the cross to pay the penalty of sin. He has already risen from the dead. He has already ascended to the throne. He has already come, but he has not yet returned to take us home. And so you and I live in the precarious tension of the already and the not yet. Jesus, past tense, completed action, has conquered sin has conquered Satan, and has conquered death on your behalf. And all you have to do to receive this free gift is sow your faith seed and send in $29.95. No. Thought I was going there for a second, didn't you? All you have to do is nothing. All you have to do is put your faith in Jesus. Say, Lord Jesus, all the things that you have accomplished I ask that you would apply them to my account. Forgive me of my sin. Today is the day, Lord Jesus. I I want no more. I'm turning my back on Satan and the spiritual forces of evil. I want no more of that. I want you. Forgive me of my sin. And he will do it. It is absolutely free. It is grace. It is mercy. He will give you for free His Holy Spirit empowering you to say no to sin in your life and to say yes to righteousness. He will give you a new life. Acts says, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. If you count yourself a believer this morning, our mission is given in the Great Commission to all believers. Our mission here at New City is a function of the Great Commission to glorify God by being and making disciples of Jesus Christ. We just want to follow Jesus. And we want to invite other people to experience the joy of following Jesus until the day that he returns. Believer, remember, Satan has already lost. He's living on borrowed time. Remember that you can repent of whatever unhealthy fear you have put towards the spiritual forces of evil where you have opted out of the fight, that you can repent and turn away from the sins that dazzle and so easily entangle. Christ has already won. Don't live in fear. Don't live in the mire of sin. Join his fight. Amen? Let's pray together.